In the previous talk, I actually led you through four different words that Paul uses to outline and define what spiritual gifts, or the term that we use as spiritual gifts, is. I told you that they are pneumoticons. They are uh, these unique movements of the Spirit through us, these expressions, these manifestations. I, I said that they are these charismata. They are grace that is flowing through us, expressions of grace, that they are diureses. They are placements, appointments, unique spaces where God is ordained for you to stand and make your mark, His mark, on this world. They are energimaton. They are divine energy power flows. Now, in the same passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7, he says all that. As he keeps moving on, he gets to this place after defining the gifts like that and starts describing a few of them. Here, here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. He says, To one there is given the Spirit a measure of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. We find nine gifts in that passage. Let, let me list them to you. Number one, message of wisdom. It's sometimes called word of wisdom or just wisdom. Number two, message of wisdom, sometimes called word of knowledge or just knowledge. Number three, faith. Number four, healing. Number five, miraculous powers, often referred to as working of miracles or just simply miracles. Number six, prophecy. Number seven, distinguishing between spirits, or some people refer to that as discerning of spirits. Number eight, speaking in different kinds of tongues, which is often referred to just as tongues. Number nine, interpretation of tongues. Here's what I want to do is I want to walk through each one of these and just talk briefly about them and maybe let's see where you and I might fit. Number one, word of wisdom. That is supernatural application. The word of wisdom is the ability to speak the thoughts and guidance of God into a situation most often in a practical way. Um, this is different than preaching or teaching in the sense that the speaker isn't extracting nuggets of truth out of the biblical text so much as they are speaking truth into a specific situation. Often words spoken in this manner seem counter-cultural on the surface, while at the same time they resonate deep with your spirit. For, for someone, for instance, might offer you the advice to sow your weight out, out of a financial hole rather than saving and working more to move your way through it. Though that seems counterintuitive, in your situation, it might be exactly what you need to hear. And when you hear it, it resonates like, oh, yes, this is it. Oh, and here's the important thing about wisdom. Though, though it's hidden to most people in the beginning, most often it makes sense once it's shared with others. It's as if the Holy Spirit confirms the idea once it's spoken. And number two, word of knowledge is unique insight. A word of knowledge is another speaking gift. It carries the ability to talk about something that there is no natural way the speaker would have known. In the way that wisdom often refers to application, knowledge often refers to information. But it's not just any information. Generally, it's personal and it's timely. 
At the end of a church service one Sunday morning, a visiting speaker who had never met me and knew nothing about me at all, he locked eyes with me as he concluded his message and began what was really his time of invitation and response. Hey, you're the father of many kids, he said. You, you have a lot, more than normal. How many do you have? Well, two of my kids sat near me. The other were either in kids' classes or helping teach classes in which they served. There's no way this man would have known. Well, I have seven, I told him. He said, seven? You heard me right, I chuckled. And then I told him, as in 70 times seven that you forgive? He continued. He said, you've been in a tough season. The Lord sees you. He knows your heart. You have the Father's heart. He wants you to know that your children are going to be okay. In that moment, a few things struck me that this was the Lord. Not only did this man not know that I had a larger-than-average-sized family, but he also knew that we found ourselves walking through a minefield and that I had worried about my kids' hearts as well as some of the crisis moments we faced and how they might affect them in the future. The Lord also wants me to tell you that He still called you. Your gifts remain, your calling remains. And there's a kingdom calling you and those kids with you. Does that resonate? I nodded affirmatively. He didn't know about the private conversations in which a once close family member declared the exact opposite, that my heart was fractured, that I had forfeited my ministry call, that my authority over those kids no longer existed. I tell you this too, your girls have a destiny that's special. I see them in the arts and I see them graciously empowering other women. Well, how did this man know? Emma, she was then 18, my oldest daughter, had just submitted a script that was awarded a film shoot for the Sidewalk Film Festival in Birmingham, Alabama. And many of the conversations on my monthly date night with my oldest two daughters had focused on male and female relationships and how to empower women in a healthy way, particularly as they had witnessed subtle rebellion for most of their lives. Your home is special, the man concluded. There are going to be people coming to it, drawn to it, because of the atmosphere there with you and those kids. The Lord sees you, and He knows the path that you are walking. Keep going. Well, what, what was all that? It was a revelation of the Father's heart for me, about me. Was it a word of wisdom? No. Wisdom generally tells you specifics of how to lean into a distinct situations. It often provides you with actions to take. This man didn't provide me with wisdom. He provided me with knowledge. He knew things which the Spirit revealed to him. Knowledge imparts details that confirm to the hearer that the Father sees you and He's for you. Now, I know you might be wondering, why would the Lord do that? Why wouldn't He just tell us individually? Well, that's the beauty of being connected to the body. We're not designed to walk alone. Yes, the Lord could have told me all those things, and He had. But it's easy to second-guess what He says when you're walking through a trench. By telling another man who didn't know me unique things about me, the Lord affirmed in me uh, in a way that I knew that I'd been hearing his voice all along. And honestly, being called out in front of others in this way was a blessing. Some of the others in front of whom this man spoke, a few of the leaders in that church, were people who'd been sucked into that family member's gibberish. They'd followed the lies and innuendos, hook, line, and sinker. By speaking through a man whom those leaders invited to preach, the Lord defended me before them while at the same time speaking precious words of confirmation to my heart. Words of knowledge often carry or release faith. The words impart supernatural confidence to the hearers. Now, you may have been in a Bible study or church service before and heard someone say, I've been praying and I feel like the Lord is healing someone of a back problem now. Or it could be another issue. 
Whatever the case, though, the person being addressed, even if they're not called out in front of a large group like I was, they senses that God is for them, that he truly cares. Number three, faith is seeing what's unseen to everyone else. Now, the gift of faith is more than just belief. It is a knowing. The gift of faith envelops a person like a blanket, leaving little to no room for doubt. It carries an authority that gives that gifted person an unshakable confidence that God is moving, and it will create faith in others who are nearby. We see the gift of faith operating in the apostles a lot. When Peter skips the prayer and simply commands the lame man to rise and walk, we're watching the gift of faith in action. That's Acts 3.6. Well, where do we see the gift of faith today? Well, when we see new church planters move to yet-to-be-built neighborhoods and launch new startups which grow exponentially, we may be watching the gift of faith in action. When we see entrepreneurs receive vision for a new business idea, one they launch with ultra success, we might also be watching the gift of faith in real time. I intentionally included a church example and a non-church example above. Again, the spiritual gifts aren't confined to the four walls of the building. Arguably, an entrepreneur with a multi-million dollar business has a greater reach and a larger base of influence than many pastors. And notice the gift of faith might be tied to a specific event. God will see you through the situation, or it might be um, exhibit itself like a long-term proposition for a lifestyle or a purposeful, intentional plan. Number four, healing is imparting total health and wholeness. The gift of healing is the divine strength or ability to act as an intermediary in faith, prayer, and by the laying on of hands for the healing of physical and mental illnesses. Now, whereas all believers can lay hands on the sick and see them recover, see Mark 16, 15 through 20, some believers have a unique ability to walk in this gift at a higher capacity. Now, the same thing is true of evangelism, by the way. Everyone can share their faith. Some people have a higher effectiveness at doing it. That's how the Spirit expresses Himself through them. And that's a great way to understand the gifts, by the way. They're all available to each of us in some way. The Lord can work through any of us at any time in any way He chooses. However, in the specific way or the same way that our created design has unique strengths, so also do our gifts there are likely one or two that you gravitate towards. Now, let me stretch you a bit. I used to believe that this gift of healing functioned only in the miracle sense. However, the more I read the New Testament and the more I discover what Jesus did and what he empowered the disciples to do, the more I believe that we need to expand our belief system regarding healing. For instance, I I know a physician, a family doctor in my hometown, whom I believe has the gift of healing. Sometimes he prays for people and they're healed, like a miracle. At other times, he uses his training and imparts information and practical application to them that causes them to be healed. Either way, he has a higher percentage rate of wellness than the average doctor. And remember, the gifts are for ministry, that's for service inside the church, and they're for mission. That's our definition for outside the church, and they work in alignment with biblical obedience and our created design. Number five, miracles supernatural abilities with stuff. Whereas the gift of healing primarily deals with people, the gift of miracles most often deals with situations, places, or things. In the Old Testament, we read about the prophet Elisha and his students losing an axe head in the Jordan River while they were building a place for them to dwell. 
Elisha caused the axe head to float back to the surface of the water so they could retrieve it in 2 Kings 6, 1-7. Jesus' instance of the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6.30 and the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark 8.1, those are additional examples of miracles. Where do we see miracles today? Well, have you ever seen someone who's able to do more with less? Perhaps they're functioning in the arena of the supernatural. Or do you know someone who's worked so quickly that they seem to compress time and space and move through life more rapidly than other people, almost as if the natural universe is serving them? Yep, that might be another example of someone who's operating at a supernatural level here. Number six, prophecy, declaring who someone really is. A prophecy deals with the core issue of identity. Someone with the gift of prophecy has a unique insight to speak life to an individual, generally to who that person is despite what we, or particularly they, might see by calling forth their destiny as a son or daughter of the king. Prophecy functions different than word of knowledge because word of knowledge usually deals with the situation. Prophecy, on the other hand, it deals with people. Now, earlier in this talk series, uh, I think it was talk number two, we spent an entire just whole 30, 45 minute discussion talking about Simon Peter's transformation. When Jesus informed Peter that he was a rock, even though he wasn't yet acting like it, that was prophecy in action. That happened in John 1, 42. Prophecy is supernatural ability to see beyond the coal and call forth the diamond that's in someone. Furthermore, most prophets don't even need to mention anything about the dirt that they see. And someone with the gift of prophecy doesn't get hung up on who someone's not. They just speak forth the destiny of who they really are. Paul reminds us that, here's a quote from 1 Corinthians 14.3, that the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So prophecy doesn't expose people's secret sins. Prophecy reveals redemption and ongoing salvation. I'll give you another example, another personal one. Twice a year, I would co-lead a weekend retreat for men. We called them advances as we encouraged, equipped, and empowered men to move forward in each area of their lives. Sunday morning was always a highlight. At the conclusion of our time together, we always had a soft close by breaking the men into groups and then having a designated leader pray and speak life over each of the attendees. Though some of the men were initially nervous at the idea of a stranger praying for them, it was a secular business event, not a religious sacred event, we encouraged them to trust us. This always became one of my favorite moments and one of their favorite moments of the weekend too, showing that prophecy, when ministered correctly, it always empowers love and encouragement. Well, during the Seattle event, one of my friends, he walked up to me. I stood at the front of the room. I just dismissed everyone of the groups. I want you to pray for me, he said. I listened to the Father's voice to see what he might want to say to this brother. What was his word for my friend? I wanted to know and communicate that message to him. Then, after a few seconds, I replied, Nope, I want you to pray for me. What? He said. Yes, you pray. He he stammered a moment. Then he took a shot at it. It was a slow go at first, but then something broke, the floodgates opened, and he prayed like he'd never prayed before. As he said, Amen, I looked at him and smiled. "What, What just happened? He asked. You see yourself as weak, I told him, 
but I and all of the men in here see you as strong. The Father sees you as a spiritual bulldozer, a man who's going to plow the ground and clear a path for so many others who are walking behind you, men that you can't see right now. They're looking to you for guidance. You're a leader. I see that, and I believe in you. Well, my friend Les, one of the two other guys who hosted these events with me, he concurred and he offered this man similar words of encouragement. And because of his background, the words all made sense to him. He, whereas he came to me thinking he wanted a generic prayer, he received something more specific. Les and I both spoke the heart of the Father over him. Now, the fruition is that 18 months later, that man actually spoke at our event. He recalled this testimony of walking through bouts of depression, of leaning hard in some deep relationships of other men, and in the process of that, discovering his true identity. In his own words, my life used to be like a dumpster fire, but now I'm on the right path. Any of you have an open invitation to contact me and talk with me anytime you need me. Number seven discernment, seeing the unseen. Well, discerning of spirits is another manifestation of the Holy Spirit working through the people of God. True discernment doesn't just see what's happening on the surface level. Rather, it empowers someone to see the motives and intents behind what's happening. A person with a developed gift of discernment might recognize something regarding a person, something relevant to a situation, or even something related to a move of the Spirit, and they'll be able to determine if something is holy or unholy. Someone with a highly developed gift of discernment will often have unique insight as to how the Lord is moving, even in situations where it's difficult to see Him moving at all. Many times they'll get a sense or a feel about something, even if they can't articulate what it is. They'll just know. Well, what's the difference between faith and discernment? Well, faith looks forward. It anticipates something that God will do. Discernment, on the other hand, looks at the present, at the here and now. In addition, faith often expresses itself as belief. Discernment expresses itself as insight. So, so faith is belief for the future. Discernment is insight in the present. Now remember, healing and miracles are similar as well. We determined that in general, healing deals with people and miracles deal with things. Number eight, tongues speaking from heaven to earth. Now, tongues is a gift we reviewed in previous talks. I believe it was maybe talk number eight when we discussed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And though the misuse and unscriptural application of this gift have made many people nervous about its use, the fact is that it remains a gift, a valid charismata whereby the Lord expresses his love in tangible ways to and through his people. Some members of the body of Christ, they have the unique ability to receive messages from God, often in a public ministry setting, whereby the Spirit delivers a unique word to the body for the edification of the group as a whole. The message is not planned and is most often just a few sentences long, but it imparts the life of the kingdom in a fresh way. Now, this is different than prophecy, too, for prophecy most often ministers person-to-person instead of person-to-group, and prophecy is delivered in a person's native language. Now, the gift of tongues is different than the prayer language of tongues. In the same way that many believers can pray for healing and see results, I believe many believers can pray in tongues, whereas praying in tongues largely involves us communicating to God, and, and then He'll communicating back to us, of course, a message in tongues comes straight from heaven only. 
As this is such a multifaceted gift, we could easily invest multiple chapters on this gift alone. But that said, let me provide you with a few hangers to help you remember this one. Number one, tongues remains a valid gift today. It didn't pass away at some point in the past. Number two, tongues is often misused, but that doesn't negate the validity of the gift. Number three, tongues has many expressions, including prayer language, which Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 14, speaking in other languages like Acts 2, and direct messages from heaven. Perhaps we see that in Acts 10. Now, whereas I can personally pray in tongues, I've never communicated in a foreign language apart from my years of study, and even then my skill level was horrible. And I've never spoken in tongues in a public ministry setting like Paul seems to mention in this passage. Often, you'll see that leaders with ministry office, particularly equippers such as apostles and prophets, function at a high level with this gift. However, having a ministry office is not required for this gift. Many intercessors regularly share this with the body of Christ. And by the way, Paul warned about this gift in 1 Corinthians 14 that it could cause disruption, but he still encouraged people to use it. Number nine, interpretation of tongues, translating the heavenly message. Now, the interpretation of tongues is the final manifestation of the Spirit that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 12. Some members of the body of Christ have the ability given by God to communicate these messages of tongues to the church, which was the eighth gift that we mentioned. So the message comes down in tongues from heaven, and then some people have the ability to translate is what we're saying. A message given in tongues in a public venue should always be interpreted. The message will most often not be a word-for-word translation of what was spoken by the person with the gift of tongues, but a paraphrase, something that gives the general sense or feel what was imparted to the congregation. And since a message in tongues comes from heaven to earth, it will most often be something God wishes to communicate to us, not something we are communicating to Him. The message generally imparts identity, like who we are, destiny, where we're headed, and hope that we'll make it there. Words have power to bless, so even if we don't have the identical words translated, as if translating from Spanish to English, the declaration of the Spirit through the voice of a human carried power to touch our spirits. And now this interpretation, not necessarily a translation, it awakens our hearts and our minds to what was delivered to us. Now, I've been in church services before when a pastor or other leader says, everybody pray in the Spirit, or if you have a prayer language, use it now. In my opinion, that's not the time and place for the exercise of the gift. Paul even alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 14, 5-6. He tells us that outsiders will see this and they'll likely think we're out of our minds. That's in 1 Corinthians 14, 23. I was in a church service once and a leader said, from the stage... Sometimes God has to do stuff like this to offend your mind so that he can reach your heart. Uh, No, that's just another one of those pithy sayings that sounds right but has no substance. Paul reminds us that everything should be done decently and in order. That's in 1 Corinthians 14.40. Notably, the context of this statement is during his teaching about tongues. Furthermore, Paul applauded the Berean church as they were the ones searching the scriptures to see if they were being taught the truth in Acts 17, 11. Sure, there's a time and place for everything. In general, a public ministry setting is not the time and place for the use of tongues unless an interpreter is present. Now, all of that said, here's what I've done. I've offered you in talk number 13, five ministry offices or equipping roles, you know, the apostles, prophets, 
evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, that was in talk number 13. In talk 14, we talked about the seven created designs from Romans 12. And then in the previous talk, number 15, and in this one, we're, we're actually talking about the nine unique spiritual manifestations. So when we add all of that together, th that's a total of really about 21 ways listed in Scripture whereby the Lord expresses Himself through us. Now, some pastors and teachers, they get that list and they add three more gifts, which Peter references in his epistle. Um, notably, in that passage where translators refer to gifts, um, Peter, like Paul, he mentions charis, that is grace effects. And, and he uses that word karatos that we saw in John 1.16 where he talks about the animating, life-giving presence of God working through us. So there, um, in Peter... He, he mentions, well, well, let me just read it to you. Peter actually says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality, there's one, to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have, whatever you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should speak as the one who speaks the very works of God. So there's three. He's mentioned hospitality, serving, and speaking. Speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and power forever and ever. Notice the three Peter mentions. Hospitality, serving, speaking. And now look at what he writes here in the middle of that. He admits this. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have. Okay, and, and again, we talked about the gifts or the mnemonicons. They're the expressions. They're the charismata. They're the grace effects, the diureses, the appointments. They're the energimaton, the divine energies flowing in specific ways. Peter reminds us that in all this, we're faithful stewards of grace in its various forms. And, and so it seems to me that, you know, some teachers believe that all 24 are gifts. Some, some cite just the nine from 1 Corinthians 12 as their complete list. And, and I don't actually believe either of those views are correct. I don't believe any closed list is accurate. You see, P Peter wasn't trying to create an exhaustive list. He was simply emphasizing that God works through each of us and that we need to remember that we're connectors to the kingdom when we serve, however it is that we serve, wherever it is that we served. And Paul wasn't trying to create a comprehensive list of nine either, nor was he in any of the passages in which he mentions the expressions of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, he reminds us that these manifestations are being used for the common good of everyone. Furthermore, in Romans 12, he urges people to use their gifts. If you reread each of these passages in full, you'll see them all have a unique angle on the gifts. And you'll, you'll see what I mean. There's a unique emphasis for each one. Here's what I'm getting at. Each passage contains, in my mind, only a partial list of possible gifts. And get that, a partial list of possible gifts. Remember, these gifts aren't gifts boxes. They're expressions of the Spirit moving through us. They're not something that we possess. They're these relational connections whereby the more aware we are of the presence of God, the more likely He is to have the opportunity to express Himself through us, and He can do that in numerous ways. Any gift list, then, is really just the starting point. The Spirit of God can do whatever He wants to do. 
So we're more interested in discovering how he uniquely works through you than we are in fitting something into one of our own self-created, self-imposed theological boxes. As we wrap up this talk, let me show you an example from the Bible of what I mean, that there's no list. And the first time we see the Spirit of God filling someone to complete a task, it doesn't appear on any of these lists at all, yet the Scripture is clear that the Spirit of God did this, and it'll surprise you what it is. God, it's when Moses is building the tabernacle. God tells Moses in Exodus 31, 2 through 5, See, I've chosen Bezalel, and I filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to gauge in all kinds of crafts. Notice, the first time a person was filled with the Spirit to minister, it was not a preacher or a musician, but a craftsman. This means God might supernaturally empower you to do something else. It's possible that some people are supernaturally gifted to create new things, to dance, to draw or paint, to organize and administrate, to mechanically fix or even invent something that blesses others, to musically bless others by singing or playing an instrument, to, to write, to do anything else where we see his supernatural empowerment. You see, we're not looking for a list, we're looking for fruit. The goal is to discover how God supernaturally works through you and then continue using those gifts. In other words, work from the definition, not the list. Work from the idea that the supernatural is the way that God uniquely, relationally expresses himself through you wherever you are, whatever he's gifted you to do, however it is that you do in living out the presence of Christ. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you and shine his face of brilliant, bold favor upon you. May regardless of whatever labels you've worn in the past, whatever you've spoken over yourself, whatever someone else has said of you, may those cloaks just be removed as we saw with some of the gifts in this talk. And may you let the light of Christ, the creative light of God shine upon you and illuminate and highlight the space where he has supernaturally tasked you, whether it fits on the list or not. And may you then let the supernatural empowerment of that spirit flow, whether you're in the four walls of the church, whether you're in your home, whether you're with your neighbors, or whether you're doing something awesome, amazing, out there anywhere else in the world. Grace, peace, shalom.